Hallelujah. We continue this morning with our study in uh, Romans 12. Last week we spoke about verses 1 and 2 in a series called Against the Flow. This letter was being written to the Christians in Rome. Rome was the seat of the government of the first century. And uh, just about everything that Paul is teaching the church goes against the flow of the current customs and habits and ideas and values of those days. And 2,000 years later, not much has changed. In fact, it seems we're going back to those days over history. Some things seem to have improved and now we seem to be going back again to the same lifestyle and values of the first century. Uh, no moral compass and everybody living for themselves and ignoring the principles of the word of God. And if you and I are going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be Christians, if you're going to live our lives according to kingdom principle, guess what? We're going to go against the flow. And you started last week with verses 1 and 2 where God asks us to offer our bodies a living sacrifice which means everything we have, everything we are, is laid at the altar of God to be lived out for Him in our lives over here. It says our minds must be renewed. We must allow God's thoughts, God's idea, the ideas, the Word of God, the values of God to govern our thinking, to inform our thinking. It is so easy for us to be shaped by the values of this world because we are surrounded by that. But as children of God, we are to be shaped and formed by what God says. We come today to uh, verses 3 onwards, and let's begin with verses 3 in a message entitled, Know the Real You. You, you see, the world has an idea of what you should be, and the world is trying to shape you to its image. Everything, the media, the values, the propaganda, what they teach you in schools, universities, they're all trying to form your thinking according to the pattern of this world. And when I, and I say the word world, I don't mean the birds and the bees and the trees and the mountains. That is a beautiful creation of God. When I say the world, I'm talking about a system of thinking. The economy of this world, the philosophies of this world, the ideas of this world, the moralities of this world. And that is being pumped into, into children, into adults, and it is this kind of trying to shape people according to the ideas of this world. And the Bible says, do not be conformed to it. You are not. The real you is not what the world says you, you are. We need to understand who is the real Knowing to know the real you, you need to get back to the word of God. And verse 3 then we, we says the following. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. And it doesn't stop only with the Christians in Rome. The word of God is for all of us today. And so today, the word of God tells us, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, in this world, there is a tendency of people to think either too much of themselves or too little of themselves. Amen? And we all fall somewhere in that spectrum. There are people, they, they walk around, they put their chests out and they strut around 
as if they are God's gift to the universe, you know, and it's all about them and they're the main ones, they're the important ones and everybody must just kind of bow down to them. And then the other people, they think they are worth nothing, they are like worms in this world, woe is me, you know, uh, shame, I'm nothing, I've got nothing, I can't do anything. And, and so both extremes are wrong. Because in fact, both extremes are actually a form of pride. This one is trying to boast and trying to get attention and, 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 and rule and overpower. The other one, by having a pretty pot, is still trying to get attention onto himself. And both of are, are, are wrong ideas of who they are. The Bible says, hey, have a healthy idea of who you are. Have a healthy self-esteem. Do not think of yourself more highly than what you ought to. Know yourself. Know yourself. Have sober judgment. A healthy self-esteem is important. And with God's help, you can get to know the real you. The Romans had a habit of judging amongst themselves. They would judge people according to rank or according to wealth or according to eloquence, how you know they could speak beautifully or according to function. And so the Romans would look at each other and, and if you were one of those people that, you know, you've got position, you're, you are eloquent in how you speak and, and you've got the money and, and so forth, they would say, wow, good citizen. You know, if you're just the, the, the rubbish boy, you know, that ah, worthless citizen. And so they valued you by your position in society. Guess what? 2019, we're still doing it, don't we? Oh, he's a lawyer. Oh, she's an architect. He's an engineer. Whoa, hello, he's a minister. Works in this department. Oh, I'd like to meet you. Oh, yes, the rubbish collector. Oh, hi. Huh? And what is worse is back in those days, that kind of thinking was kind of getting into the church. And so Paul is saying, hey guys, in the church we don't do this. Because you see, before God, we are all the same. Any gift you might have, any ability you may have, guess who gave it to you? Huh? Come on. You didn't earn it yourself. It's a gift, a free gift. So why are you, you going on boasting as if it was yours? Give honor to the one who gave it to you. And understand, we are all the same. Don't care what position you have, what job you do, how much money you get. We are one before God and we should treat each other as so. Your value, my value comes because you were made in the image of God. Amen. And so he was warning them, and guess what? Again today, we, we still have that idea. Oh, this is so-and-so. Uh, He's a prophet. Uh, that guy is a pastor. Oh, wow, hello, brother. You're in the church, okay? That guy, listen, this guy, he's planted four churches. Wow, really? And, and this guy, he's preaching 52 countries. Whoa, good to meet you, brother. And this guy, yeah, he's our janitor. He cleans our toilets. Oh, hello, brother. <laughs> Come on. Happening in the church, guys. And the word of God comes to us all those years later. From Rome and from what is happening in Rome to what is happening in Gauteng, in Tuani, in Pretoria, and all over the world. 
Stop it, guys. Have a healthy understanding of who you are, who you are, and who those around you are as well. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. Our identity does not come from our position, from the jobs we do. Come on, guys. All of us are trying to do our best to survive here. I don't care what you do. You're doing what you can to live, to make a living, to feed your family. That is not what defines you. What defines you is what God says you are. The grace and the mercy of Christ. Knowing that I'm a child of God. You're the child of God. And we could do life so much better if we understood this. And we stood together as one. The key to evaluating yourself with sober judgment is knowing the basis of your self-worth. Which is what? Your identity in Jesus Christ. As Paul has been elaborating on the first 11 chapters of this book, God has eliminated the sin problem from our lives through Jesus Christ. It is there. Everyone has sinned. Everyone. Everyone is separated. There is nothing we could do to fix that. Don't care how good you are, how rich you are, how popular you are. We cannot fix that problem. God fixed that problem by sending Jesus. Jesus came, took his place in the cross in your, in your place took our place paid for our sins you know died for us satisfied the requirements of justice and then he gives us eternal life and all we have to do is acknowledge realize it's being done god's merciful he's not he's giving us this gift of salvation all he's saying is just accept this gift and so out of all that he's saying well Let's start living it. Let's start living the life that God has given to us. God has fixed the problem of sin. I am a child of God. There is nothing I can do to impress God more or to make Him love me more. What I can do is love Him back more from my side. What I can do is align my life to His will. And reflect him in my life in this world. And that's what Paul is asking us to do. Out of the mercy, out of the love of God, do this. Once I understand that and I, and I become confident in that, I can function in the church and in the world the way God intended me to function. If you go to verses 4 and 5 of Romans 12, it says... For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There are many pictures in the New Testament, many pictures of the church, trying to explain what the church is. And so we have the picture of a building. The church is a building. We have the picture of the church is a family. We hear it a lot in this church, right? Church is family. We have the picture of a bride. The church is a bride. We have the picture of an army. The church is an army. And here Paul presents us with a picture of a body. The church is a body. Like your body, you are one body, but you've got different members. And, 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 and your hand does one thing, your nose does another, and every member has a function. Not one single member in your body can stand out and say, hey guys, I'm the main member of this body. And I can do it all by myself. I don't need you guys. 
What is the most important member of your body? I'll tell you what, the one that's hurting right now. If, if, you, if your toe is hurting, I, 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 ooh, and, and your whole body goes towards, gives attention to that toe to make sure it's fixed. If your tooth is hurting, ow, 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 and, and your whole body wants to do something about that tooth. And there are some parts of your body you don't even know they're there until they hurt. Huh? There are some parts of your body you don't see them, they're inside until something goes wrong. And you become very aware and you give all your attention. You're going to get this thing fixed, man, because this thing must work properly so that my body can function properly. And he's saying the same thing with the church. We are not all the same. We don't have all the same gifts. God made us different. It's okay. Not everybody has to be like you. Hello? <laughs> huh? Thank God for that, yes. <laughs> Imagine two of you in this house. <laughs> Imagine two of me in this house. Ay, ay, ay. Listen, we are all unique, but we are all valuable, and you're all needed. Just because you are needed doesn't make you more important than all the others. You are needed just like all the others are needed. And, and so he says, we are members of one body. So in Christ, we, though many, though many, we form one body. You see, as Christians, we are one body on this earth. There are billions of us, so we can't all meet together in one place. So we have these local churches like this one, and we've got many churches in Pretoria and many churches across the world. Every local church forms a body of believers. But we are not unique. We are not the only body of believers on the earth. There are plenty other bodies of believers around us. And we pray for them. They pray for us. We should support one another. Every single person in this body has a function. And every local body, every local church has a purpose as well. As long as they're trying to do God's will. And everyone is necessary. And across the world, we form one big body. The, the church of Jesus Christ. Don't care what you call it. Don't care denominations. That's a man-made thing. The church is made of men and women, boys and girls, who have surrendered their lives to Christ. And some guys may worship very loudly over here and yeah, very quietly. They still worship him, man. It's the same God, same Jesus. And we find a body that we enjoy that we feel welcome in, that we feel is part of our family, is us. But you must understand, we belong to that body, we function in that body, but you're part of a greater body. And you need to be praying for one another and understanding that we all have a function and a role to play. Amen? Though we are many, we are one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So, let's get on and look at verses 6 to 7. The real you is not an independent solo rider. He says you are part of a body. And then he goes through and he says we have different gifts. You see, as different members of the body, each member is gifted differently. We may sometimes look similar. We may seem to like similar things. But in fact, each one of us is very unique 
in the gifts that we have, the mixture of gifts we have. And so we have here, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In the New Testament, there are three main distinct lists of gifts, groupings of gifts. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, you find there the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when you read those, you realize those gifts belong to the Holy Spirit, and he gives those gifts to whoever he wills, whenever he wills. And those gifts are meant to flow through us for the benefit of others. You've got no control over that gift. The best you can do is say, Lord, I'm here, I'm available, use me. And as you become aware of your true self, as you move in the body of Christ, as you move in the community, as and when needed, the Holy Spirit will tug you, you'll be available, and he'll use you to, to bring a word of encouragement, a word of knowledge, to pray for someone for healing, whatever it is. And the gift of the Holy Spirit will flow through you to the other person that you're ministering to. The other group of gifts you'll find in Ephesians chapter 4. It's known as the five-fold ministry gifts or the five uh, or the ministries. It is, those gifts are given by Jesus to the church. And, and those are offices in the church in which God raises people to take those offices, uh, those, those positions and train other believers and prepare other believers for the ministry. Those are the, the, the apostle, the, 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 the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Uh, those are gifts given by Jesus to the church. He calls those people. And he doesn't call those people to do all the work. He calls them to train and prepare the church so that the whole church can do the work of the ministry. Every believer is called to minister. You are a minister. Tell somebody next to you, you're in full-time ministry. Said like they didn't, they didn't hear you. Tell someone, you're in full time ministry. Some people think only the full time pastors and full time evangelists are in full time ministry. No ways. Every believer is in full time ministry. Right there where you work, in the school you go to, why do you think you are there? To get a better education, to get a paycheck to go home? No. First of all, you're there to be a representative of the kingdom of God, to be a light. And then you dare to do your work. And while you're doing your work, hopefully, people are going to look at you and see something different about you. And your light is going to shine. And maybe people that, even if you pay them, you couldn't bring them to church, but they're working with you. And you can have an opportunity to share Jesus with them, the love of God with them. And help them to discover that their sins have already been forgiven. (laughs) All they've got to do is understand it, realize it, and receive the gift of eternal life. Amen? And so we are all called to minister. So those gifts in Ephesians 4 are to train the church. And then there is this portion over here, Romans 12. And these are called the seven motivational gifts. These are gifts given by the Father to every single human being. Whether you're a Christian or not, God has given you these gifts, a combination of these gifts. And usually in our lives, there is one or two which are stronger than the others. And that defines your primary gifts. And so I want to go very quickly through, through, through them. And as I'm, I'm talking about these gifts, uh, very briefly, uh, just listen. And as I'm describing them, ask yourself, is this me? Could this be me? Yes? No? Maybe? Does this sound like me? <laughs> okay. 
Because the thing is, these gifts are to be discovered. As, our, as we live our lives, you're going to find that there are some things you have a tendency towards. You have a preference for. Why? Because God has put certain gifts inside of you and you're drawn to those things. The first one is prophesying. Prophesying. Prophecy. Okay? Prophecy. And that really, uh, you can also call it the, uh, the perceiver. This is a divine enablement to proclaim God's truth with power and clarity in a timely and culturally sensitive fashion for correction, for repentance, and for edification. It's the ability to reveal God's word accurately. That's what this gift does inside the church. In, in society as a whole, perceivers, the person with this gift, has a keen sense of right and wrong, and thus hold high standards. They have a unique ability to detect when things aren't quite right. And this information is not always positive, and it's not always well received. And as a result, perceivers, or people with the prophesying gift, can appear too direct and inconsiderate of others' feelings when their intention is really to help or warn people. Motivated to stand up for what is right, they have an intense disdain for injustice. Perceivers tend to live out loud by overtly applying their values and convictions to everyday life. And the, the, the question which normally runs in a perceiver's mind, in a person with a prophetic gift's mind, is this. What went wrong? And they've got this ability to sense what is wrong. And you know those guys at work, they all out there, but this is wrong. This should be like that. This should be like that. Da, 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 da. You know what's worse about those guys? They irritate you, but you know that they are right. <laughs> huh? I've had a few of those in my working situation. And I've had some of those in my church situation too. And it's not they're trying to be ugly. They just have an ability to, this is wrong. Why, why are you doing this? Can't you see this is a stupid thing to do? Why are you, why are you, do you having that relationship? Why, why, are you, why are you doing this stuff? Why are you spending time with this? Why are you watching that? Why are you reading this? Why aren't you doing... <laughs> but some people have an ability to detect that. And you see, when, when, when you are born again, God uses that for you to be able to perceive God's will in a situation. To understand what's happening around you and give clear direction. That's the gift of prophecy. Is that you? Yes? No? Maybe? Do you go around asking, what is truth? You know? Then you get the what? If it is to um, uh, prophesying serving, then serve. Serving, then says serving the server. This is the divine ability to, 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 to attach spiritual value to physical tasks within the body of Christ. It's the ability to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs that releases other Christians for direct spiritual ministry. It's the guy who says, you know, pastor, I know you've got to study, but don't worry, I'll, I'll do this thing. You, you go and, and pray, you go and visit, I'll, I'll sort out this practical thing, I'll paint this, I'll fix that. You know, and, and it happens in the church and in different phases of the church. It's the person that's always willing to help. In society as a whole, service are motivated to helping others, fixing problems and completing tasks. They are quick to identify tasks that need to be done. And so they are mindful of their surroundings. Service are efficient and keep things moving. They keep on task and often keep others on task. They make good managers. And they are sure to make sure needs are met. Service have a natural ability to plan ahead and put in place what will be needed. They're, the question running their minds 
as they move around is this. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? And when they find something to do to help, man, it, it fulfills them. They feel so excited. That's how you know where your gifting is. When you naturally tend towards something and it excites you, it fulfills you when you do that. How is that doing? Now listen, by the way, don't think you're going to find only one of these. You're going to say, yeah, that's me. You might find more than one because really we are all a mixture of all those seven. But as we go through them, you're going to find maybe two, maybe three of them kind of rise to the top. What about teaching? He says, if it is teaching, then teach. <laughs> okay. The teacher. That's a divine enablement to understand and give detailed explanation of biblical truth. I, I've heard theologians speaking. And the more they talk, the more confused I get. They've got an ability to open the word of God and complicate simple things. And then I've heard other teachers. They open up the word of God. They go to a difficult passage. And 15 minutes later, wow, it's so clear. That was so simple. Why didn't I see it before, man? That's a teacher. A teacher is able to simplify complex things. Open the word of God and make it plain to understand in society, teachers, uh, they make difficult concepts easy to understand. How many of you have had a math or a science teacher that you could never understand? Only me. Oh, three of us. Okay, yeah, okay. But then, how many of you have had a math or a science teacher that walked into class, and after the period was over, you went, wow, I understand that. I had those two. Amen? Yeah. I, I had a, a math teacher. Quadratic equations. When I saw the subject, I got a fright. By the end of the first lesson, I said, hey, this is not too bad. This guy walks in class, his hair is like this, you know, and, oh, Patrick, here we go. And I understood everything he said. Then I had a science teacher. He would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I said, sir, but I don't understand that. Okay, listen again. Around and talk and talk and talk and talk. I still don't understand. He says, well, man, it is like that because I say so. So some are teachers and some are not. Some have a natural gift for teaching. And some don't. So what about you? Do you enjoy that? The teacher, the intuitive question is, what is truth? And how can I make it plain to others understand? Then you have the person that is encouraged. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. The encourager. Some translations have exhortation. Exhortation and encouragement means the same thing. And in the church, it's a divine enablement to come alongside another in need of encouragement, to reassure, to strengthen, to affirm, and to challenge those who are discouraged or wavering in their faith. It's the ability to stimulate the faith of others. And you know those people? You are down, you know, you have a rough week and so on. And, and somebody steps in and starts talking to you, man. All of a sudden you start, you know, shoulders going up and you're feeling blessed. And this person is speaking to your life, is encouraging you. All of a sudden your burden isn't so heavy anymore, you know. And ah, you feel encouraged. Or, or maybe you're getting some crazy ideas here. Your faith is doubting your faith. And they start embracing you and telling some stories, some testimonies and so on. And you get encouraged. That's the encourager. That's the encourager. In, 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 in society, encouragers have an ability to call forth the best in people through encouragement and motivation. 
They feel comfortable around people and they tend to have extroverted personalities. Encouragers want to see people improve and succeed and often prescribe practical advice. They have an ability to bring new life to people who have lost their determination and feel burned out. Encouragers usually have a large circle of friends and are natural networkers. They are people's people. And you love hanging around these guys. They come in, it's like a ray of sunshine comes into the room. We all need a couple of those guys in our lives. Especially when having those down days, you know. They question, they're all asking us, what must be done to fix this? And how can we make this person feel whole again? They, 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 are, they are looking out for that and they have a passion for that. Then you have the giver, the giving. If it is giving, then give generously. If you're going to give, make a good job of it, okay? The giver. In the church, it's a divine, it's a divine enablement to earn money, manage it well, and wisely contribute to the work of the Lord with cheerfulness and liberality. It's the ability to entrust personal assets to others for the furtherance of their ministry. And so there are people, they, they have an ability to make money, but it's not for themselves. They enjoy making money and sharing it. Yes, they do use it for themselves. They do have nice things, but they also share a lot of what they get. But by the way, you don't have to be rich to be a giver. I know some very great givers who are not rich. They don't have much. But what little little they have, they love to bless others with it. They love to bless the church and bless people and do things for people. So it's an, it's an attitude of giving. They are motivated to be generous. So the question they're asking is this, what can I give to meet the needs? When somebody speaks a problem, you know, where one guy wants to fix it, another guy wants to encourage, the giver says, what can I give? What can I give to help this problem? That is the giver. And then he says, if it's to lead, do it diligently. This is the leader or the ruler. This is the divine enablement to see what needs to be done, set goals and attract and lead and motivate people to accomplish the work of ministry. It's the ability to coordinate the activities of others for the achievement of common goals. Rulers have an ability to see the big picture and therefore look ahead for possibilities and dangers. A ruler brings order by setting up structures, systems, and methods for others to follow. The motivation of a ruler is to guide everyone towards a common goal. This gives them an assertive, take-charge attitude, often causing rulers to appear bossy to other people who do not understand this gift. Their intuitive question is, what is the goal? And what's the shortest distance to get there? They want to get there. They want to follow the goal is and get there quickly. That is the ruler. That's what drives him. Is that anyone here? Is that you? Yes? No? Maybe? And what about the last one? He says, if it is mercy, then do it cheerfully. Showing mercy. This is divine enablement to minister cheerfully and appropriately to people who are suffering or undeserving and to spare them from punishment or consequences they justly deserve. It's the ability to identify with and comfort those who are in distress. Those with the gift of ministry are the first to listen and sympathize with someone when someone is suffering. They are concerned with the physical and emotional condition of people. They often have a strong desire to relieve the pain of others and are effective in roles that require compassion. Mercy people are compassionate people, very strong in compassion. When people repeatedly come to them with problems or pain, they pour out mercy. Instead of getting frustration, frustrated, they give mercy and are patient with those around them. And, and the question running their mind is always, how can I make them feel better? Now, we need lots of people with this mercy gift, right? 
So these are the, very quickly, the, the seven gifts. I want you to read them again. Go home. Read them again. And, and look at yourself. Look at your life. Look at what you're doing. Those of you who are younger, you're still busy developing this gift, but, but still think about it. You're going to find, even in school, there are some things you tend to do more than others. And you can have, you can, you show all these things young in life. Leadership, giving, mercy. I, I remember being in school, and even as a, as a high school guy, people would come to me and just start talking to me. And I somehow had time to listen to them. Today as a pastor, I'm still doing it. It is one of my gifts, okay? I would love in school to, to go to a subject and, 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 and people didn't understand. And after the guys would come to me, I would break it down. In, in my tertiary studies, I had a guy who didn't understand the whole digital you know, thing. And, and, and so I would sit and break it down to him and go, oh, wow. And I realized I, I have this ability of, of taking things and I love teaching people. Uh, that's one of my gifts, which became manifest as I got older. And all of you have a combination of gifts. Now, why am I saying all this, guys? Why am I saying all this? We all operate to a certain measure in all of these gifts, but there are one or two or three which stand out above the others. And that defines your gift mix. The problem is the world is trying to push you to become what you're not. You say, hey, you see that girl? I, I want to be like her. You say, I, I, wanna, I wish I was like him. I, I wish I could do what he does. I wish, I wish. The problem is when you've got a certain gift, to you it comes so naturally, you don't even see it. You don't even feel it. But you notice all the other gifts. And then you're going to become like them. You're not them. You are you. Do not try to become the next best person. Become the best you. Acknowledge what is your gifting. Then hone in on it. And learn how to do it better. Because it's going to be easy for you to do it. Some of these gifts are foreign to me. Some of these gifts are like, a, are like Chinese or Japanese. <laughs> And for me, and now, sometimes I have to operate in them because life happens. Maybe you're not a leader, but sometimes you have to lead. Maybe you're not a teacher, but sometimes you have to teach. And when you're doing something you're not meant to do, you do it. You might even do it well. But man, when you come home, you are exhausted. You are finished. Because you're operating outside your gift area. But the world still kind of pushes us to become what we are not. Now, here's the thing. This is where we go against the flow. People with a worldly mindset will recognize these gifts in their lives and use them for their own personal gain. For their position. They might even use it to do good in society with a name of getting publicity. With a name of being recognized. Underlying, there's a selfish or a self-centered purpose. We go against the flow because God calls us to use these gifts for his glory and for the good of others. Now, as you use your gift, of course, you are going to benefit. You're going to be the first one to benefit from the good use of your gifts. It is going to improve your life. You will have a better life as you learn to apply the gifts. It will enable you to do a better job, to get a better income, to manage your life better. All right? It will help you. But you see, but then you're doing it under God's guidance. You're, you're learning to take care of your family and, and, and look after them properly, but you're still making sure that you're still giving to the church and, and helping the community. You're living a balanced life. You're living out the principles of the word of God. You're not being selfish and hoarding it all for yourself. You're living 
the God kind of life. You're going against the principles of this world. And if we would all do this, the church would be greatly strengthened. You see, guys, the world wants to shape us to be somebody else. Last week we spoke about Daniel and his friends in Babylon. The king wanted to shape Daniel, make him something he was not. Daniel refused to become somebody else. He became stronger in his own faith and conviction. He knew who the real Daniel was. And he knew who his God was. And how you are supposed to be. And like Daniel, we too must be determined in our faith and conviction in God. We need to know the real us. You need to know the real you. Not the you that others say that you are. Not the you that the world wants you to turn into. But the you that God says you are. Be sober. Do not think more than who you are. Do not think less than who you are. Discover your gifts and your talents. Learn to use them in your church and in your community. Where you work, where you go to school. In closing, remember the following four points, please. Remember this very carefully in terms of knowing the real you. Everyone has a unique combination of gifts. We may have similar gifts. We both may enjoy running, we both may enjoy music, we both may enjoy maths, we both may enjoy teaching, we both may enjoy serving, we both may enjoy giving, but each one of us is a different mix. Therefore, we are not exactly the same. We are unique. We have a unique combination of gifts. All gifts and abilities come from God. It's not you, man. God gave it to you. He put it inside of you. And he's, he's, he's longing for you to learn, discover that, acknowledge that, and use it for his glory. Hallelujah. So know who you are and what you do best. Take time to know who you are, to discover your makeup. And then do it for God and not for selfish purposes. Amen. Amen. So you see, that is what causes us to kind of go against the flow. So uh, Paul starts by calling us to, to surrender ourselves to God. And he says, you know what? You're coming to God, but you actually, you're very gifted. So as you surrender to God, bring your gifts with you. Surrender them for his use. Let your mind be renewed. Do not be like uh, these palookas in the world who think too much or too little of themselves. Be sober. Have a clear understanding of who you are in Christ. And then, you can really enjoy using your gifts, being a blessing in the church, a light in the world, and an honor to God. Amen? Let's stand and let us pray. And by the way, guys, sorry I forgot to, to make a, a, a slide about this, but if you'd like to take a little gift test, you can go to www.gifttest, one word, gifttest.org, okay? And then go to backslash survey, and you can take an online, uh, quick, simple questions. You can do it, and it's going to give an indication of how you're doing. It helps us to kind of realize sometimes we think, we think, and when you do a little test, it helps us to get some feedback and see where we are, and it can help you to get more clarity on your gift, okay? Gifttest.org backslash um, survey. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord, and I know it is not easy to be going against the flow, but Lord, this is your calling upon us. Surrendering to you, have your minds renewed by you, Lord, and living a life in this world which brings glory to you, Father God, and facilitates others coming to you. I pray, Father, that you'll cause each one of us 
listening to this message right now, to truly develop a healthy sense of who you are, to know the real me, to know the real you, so that you can bring honor to your name as you so much deserve. Thank you for your blessing upon your people as we go into this new week, Lord God. Help us to go out there in the world, in schools and places of work and society and places of recreation, in our homes, Father God, with our families and with our friends. And use our gifts to your glory, my God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Sit down by the love of God the Father. The grace and the peace of Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of us until the day of your coming. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. See you next week. And don't forget, Youth Fest next weekend, all right? Friday and Saturday. And on Sunday morning too. Amen.